0: Before we get to today's episode, I want to remind you that if you're listening on a platform other than Spotify, you can only hear the last 60 days of the new Rewatchables episodes plus these six classics, Godfather, Heat, Social Network, Old School, Jaws, and the Town. But for the entire archive, three plus years of movies, go to Spotify where you can listen to every episode for free. This episode is brought to you by USAA Auto Insurance. Life is full of tough decisions. Thanks to USAA Auto Insurance, picking your auto coverage is not one of them. Make the switch to USAA Auto Insurance and find out how much you could save. Get a quote today. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUV. Everything's better on a bigger screen, right? I mean, I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark on a big screen and feeling like my life had just changed. People felt that way about Oppenheimer recently. Sometimes you need to see stuff on the big screen. That's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3-inch touchscreen infotainment system with Google Maps, Assistant, and more right there. You can really see what's up ahead, and you don't even need to connect your phone. Find your new adventure with a Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada SUVs at NissanUSA.com. Coming up, Blue Horseshoe loves Anacott Steel. Wall Street is next.
1: From the director of Platoon, the next battle is in the greatest jungle of them all, Wall Street.
2: We're going down a drain, okay? The stock is plummeting. When it hits 18, buy it all. Something big is going down. I want you to fill out the missing picture. Mr. Gecko, that's not exactly what I do. Where you can trade your honor. I can lose my license. That's inside information. For
1: power. If you're not inside, you are outside. I want you with me, buddy. I'm with you, Gordon. Trade your peace of mind. Just the beginning, pal. If any trouble does arise, you are on your own. The trail does stop with you. For a piece of the action... A hundred million dollars, buddy. All it takes is a little inside information. Michael Douglas, Charlie Sheen, Daryl Hannah, Martin Sheen, and Oliver Stone Film Wall Street.
0: All right, our friend Brian Koppelman is here. You know him as one of the co-creators of Billions, he wrote Rounders, he's had podcasts on The Ringer and on Grantland, he's been on this podcast before, he's on The Book of Basketball, uh, me and him talking about Julius Erving, what a, what a month for us, Koppelman, I we're gonna talk Wall Street. My first question, is this the ultimate first 50 minutes, everything's going great and then it turns movie? Did this perfect the blueprint?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about it. I mean, this movie and Stripes are the biggest examples, I think, of where the first hour is basically the best movie of all time. You're right. And, and then things sort of turn in various ways, both with the movie and its rewatchability. And yeah, the, I mean, look, it's, it's, um, it's an old archetype, but I would say the adrenaline is what you're really, what you're really talking about, right, is how adrenalized and satisfying Bud's ride is as you take it with him. And you know, like by the set, you know, most of us, the first time we saw it, New Gecko, w- New Bud should stop. But even now, Bill, you watch it and you're taking the fucking ride with Buddy. And so you're so adrenalized and rolling along with him
0: that when it crashes, it is just fucking brutal. Well, Overstone, he... You know, he tested this out with Scarface, which is another example of this. That movie's an hour plus longer. But same kind of blueprint where it's going awesome. It has the classic montage where it's like, push it to the limit. And it's like, he's just buying stuff. He's buying a tiger. It's just, it's going great. And Wall Street has its version of that. But in that one, he tells you pretty early on uh,
3: where it's going because Tony gets his, Tony's best friend gets his uh, shoulder cut off,
0: right, in the... Yeah, right. Right at the beginning, before the good run, his best right. friend gets uh, killed. So the same kind of montage in this movie where it's like it's going great. Daryl Hannah is decorating the apartment. Let's let's add some art. Let's play some Talking Heads. It's going so well. What could go wrong? It's like it's going to turn. It's just but gonna. also
3: like the dialogue. Yes, uh, Scar. It's funny, you know. De-, De Palma cuts that right. I mean, I don't want to go off on Scarface, but Scarface, which is an amazing, incredible movie. But De Palma brings that cool thing, cool sort of stylistic thing to Scarface that cuts against, in a way, the thing that Stone does. Why it's such a good—here, nobody's sort of reining Oliver Stone in, and he's able to just roll. Mm. And that's why it's so—that first hour is so incredibly
0: enticing and satisfying and hilarious, too, Bill. Hilarious, the first hour of the movie. And some some classic performances. But, you know, I think one of the things that's cool, this happened for for you a little bit with rounders. And you might have even been a little early on it, where there's something happening. You have this movie, but it it still hadn't fully happened yet. So if anything, you were maybe two, three years early. And then belatedly the movie, as the poker boom happened, the movie became the the you know, the trademark movie of the poker boom. In this case, they crush it in real time. Because we have all the insider trading stuff in 85 and 86, which is right when Stone's right in this movie. And then this movie comes out in December 87. And it's still really topical. Guys are starting to go to jail. Wall Street in general is starting to turn. You had this awesome combination yeah. of mid-80s wealth and Reagan and all these things that are just driving just an immense amount of money to a small group of people. On top of it, the cocaine era. And it's just like the perfect, perfect, perfect time to do a movie like this. What's cool about it is the movie doesn't come out in 1989, 1990 with some distance. It's in the middle of it. And Gecko, you're watching Gecko in real time going, oh, it's probably a piece of Ivan Bosky, Michael Bilkin. All these dudes, you can see the pieces in real time. And I I think that is what makes it special all these years later, 33 years later, is is how they kind of hit the zeitgeist. Yeah, they were right. I think you're exactly right, man. They were, they were right on it. You know,
3: Stone. um, I watched the director's commentary last night, and Stone's dad was in Wall Street for like 30 years, and a lot of those guys are people that he modeled. uh, You know, he 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 modeled on people that he knew, which is what you kind of do a lot of the time when you do this stuff. Is you composite from the best stuff. You know, you composite from stuff you've seen. You remember quotes people said. You remember the way that you felt in these situations, and then you're kind of recreating it. on screen and you could feel his I love when a filmmaker you could tell has like tremendously conflicted feelings about everything that's happening mm. whereas stone at the same time he's completely like decrying it like he's he's totally shitting on this kind of capitalism but at the same time he's celebrating it and and he is celebrating it while he's ripping it down and i think very much echoed exactly what you're talking about very much em- echoed where america was right then right where america was trying the, to keep in in a, uh to keep this role going right they don't elect clinton for four more years they re-elect the same party with bush they the first bush they they are trying to keep this party going but but it's clear as the ends are 80s are ending this party can't keep going you you know you can't keep inflating this stuff also you mentioned the cocaine which is important to say at the top it's one of the only movies i can think of ever where the cocaine use is there casually and is not really tagged as the thing that brings the main character mm. down it's just used as sort of hey this is one of the one of the commodities people traded it's it's one of the ways you got recompense but nobody's lo- even though we see the result of the coke and certainly on Charlie sheen Uh, You know, that scene when Gecko sends the sex worker over to Buddy's apartment. Lisa, When he sends Lisa over and she does, oh, Gordon didn't tell you. But when they do the coke, it's like weird, right? Because you don't have any of that moment you would have had in almost every other movie of the era where it's like, I don't know if I should do this cocaine. I have to work tomorrow. Or the guy's just like, ah, give me all the cocaine. It's just no, it's just like. Oh yeah, I'll, I'll do a bump. So realistic to how people used Coke in yeah. that time period, I think. I was a little, you know, I was still in college. I was like, uh, you were just about to go to college, I guess. Um, but I mean, so for me, this was like this incredibly exotic and scary look at what was going to happen. You know, I was going to go to finance, but I was going to move to New York two years later after college. And, and, and I remember just being like, holy shit, how am I going to hang on? How am I going to get anything going?
0: Well, for the younger people listening, so the 70s, that's the Vietnam, Jimmy Carter, American Malays. everybody's just bummed out. Not the, the hostages get kidnapped in Iran, and it's really a dark time in American history just for people kind of questioning the country, even some of the humor, things like that. Where are we going? Who do we trust? We had Watergate. Um, should I trust my leaders? And not, not this similar to what's happening now. Um, and we hit the 80s running, and we have Reagan, who's an actor playing a president, and he's, he's just all about America, <laughs> we're going to beef up our defense system, nobody's going to fuck with us anymore, and at the same time, all this money's pouring to Wall Street, and, you know, the mantra of this movie is greed is good. That really was the mentality of the, of the mid-80s, how can I make as much money as possible, how respecting other people who are making as much money as possible. Because to me, the little Black Sheep Brother movie of Wall Street is Cocktail, which comes out a year later. And you watch the first half hour we did on the rewatchables. Brian Flanagan's so enchanted with this, you know, he goes to Wall Street. He's trying to get a job and he's just, how do I become a millionaire? He's reading the self-help books. How do I get there? How do I get money fast? That's what this era was. And Wall Street's the best movie by far that captures it.
3: Yeah, I know you don't go back this far in time, but the biggest influence on Stone was Sweet Smell of Success and a movie called Executive Suite. Executive Suite's a good movie, fine. Sweet Smell of Success, though, is like the greatest dialogue movie of all time. If you never saw it, you would freak out. It's like every movie you love was influenced by it. It's Tony yeah. Curtis, and um, it is uh, it is the most uh, intense rapid fire dialogue and that's the thing the other thing stone does in the beginning of the movie which listen if you're a young person who hasn't seen this movie and, and you're thinking about checking it out you should know like the first as bill said the first hour but even the first 15 minutes what he does is he makes you hit so entertaining and comes at you so fast and you can barely catch what the fuck they're talking about but what happens is by the kind of like 15 minutes in you catch this rhythm And it's like a very fast-paced game. And it's like all the other movies, all the other teams were kind of playing slow, Eastern Conference, bring up the ball, Mm. basketball. And this movie is like the Showtime Lakers. Like it is just passing the ball to midcourt, passing it down next to the hoop. Like push the fucking ball. It's pushing the ball the whole time,
0: I think. And you have to stay with it somehow. We have some research coming up later about Douglas had trouble with with kind of capturing the pace of it it was so rapid fire and he apparently he was smoking like 40 cigarettes a day at the time and he literally didn't have the oxygen to keep up with this tat back and forth whatever and then stone was worried about him stone went to his trailer and was like hey man i don't know you know i thought you were a better actor than this like he really challenged him man to man and douglas stepped it up and ends up winning the oscar so michael tells a slightly different version of it which oliver
3: it, uh, uh speaks to it, he goes on the commentary oliver's like you know, Michael's never stopped talking about this and they're close. So I, I went, you know, I made a movie with Michael. So I got Dave and I did. So I got to go to um, Michael's birthday party one year, his 65th birthday and Stone was there. And, um, and so I talked to him about this and, and Michael says, Oliver comes up to him exactly like you're saying, and says after three days of shooting, it was after the scene at 21, which is one of the best scenes in the movie when he orders the steak tartare for mm. buddy and he's like, save the cheap salesman talk. And it's after that scene, he, he goes to the trailer and he says to him, hey, uh, I want something. What are you doing? You're not giving me everything. But Michael said to Oliver Stone, get the fuck out of my face. You're totally wrong. I'm, I'm, I know I'm bringing it. And Stone goes, fine, go to the, if you think so, go to my editing room. I'm gonna call my editor right now. You go to my editing room and go watch the footage. And if you think it's great, and the way Michael tells it, is Michael goes, I went to the editing room. Oh, I was really rattled. I said, put it up. I watched the scene and I go, nah, I'm fucking great. And he goes, and I just went back. Wow. And I told Oliver, oh, I get it, Oliver. And he goes, and I didn't do anything different. And, and then both guys claim. And then Michael goes, and look, I won the Oscar. And, but Oliver's version is, he goes, look, I pushed the kid and he won the Oscar. So uh, it's one of those coach player, it's like one of those coach player stories where you, who, you don't know, you know, is it Kobe or is it Phil? I mean, who? Well, it's so
0: funny that this happens with movies and TV where it's not being covered day-to-day like in sports. And at some point, everybody's version of the story just kind of, I know it happened with 30 for 30. I know how we actually created 30 for 30, which was me and Connor for 10 months by ourselves. And then when it becomes successful, you're shocked by, oh, this guy was in there too. I didn't realize, oh, oh, this lady. And and everybody just decides to create their own version of the history. And it's kind of amazing when it
3: happens. I was talking to some producer in the business that is going to get you so crazy, but I don't care. I was talking to some producer in the business a couple of days ago and he had a sports doc and I go, oh, bring that doc to Sam. It's a really good idea. Bring it to Simmons. And he goes, yeah, but I mean, ah, you know, Simmons didn't really, I mean, he never made a phone call on 30 for 30. And I go, I go, dude, did you make a 30 for 30? And he goes, no. And I go, well, listen, I made a 30 for 30. And the guy I dealt with was Bill Simmons. I go, yeah, Connor too. I go, I dealt with Connor too. And uh, I go, but but, Dan, but but Bill's the guy watching cuts and calling you with the cut edits. And and he's the one who gave me the job to do it. I'm like, he was completely hands-on. But it is funny the way the stories, the point is, it's funny the way the stories will change. Like some guy heard it 10th hand and believes some bullshit. And I'm like, no, no, dude, listen, I actually- my partner had directed a 30 for 30. I, right. I was I know how it happens.
0: Well, you know? that's the internet doesn't help with this stuff. So you you re, I always do the same internet process for each movie, and you read this stuff, and it's like, you know, once Oliver Stone went into Douglas's trailer and challenged him man to man, it's just like that's just what's on the internet from that point out. Yeah, on.
3: <laughs> but it's great because I then at this birthday party with Michael, I we were there with Oliver, and they I will say it's one of these great ones because. In the same way that you could read Phil Jackson's book and then read a bunch of Kobe interviews, they both, Michael and Oliver, both believe their version of the story. Mm. Um, Oliver knows Michael went to the editing room, but, but Oliver thinks Michael went to the editing room and then saw that Oliver was right. And Michael says he went to the editing room and saw that Oliver was wrong. And um,
0: who the fuck knows? But well, it's fun other- to talk about. We've done a bunch of Douglas movies now on the Rewatchables, and we, we've talked previously, so I won't do it again, about this amazing run he has from 84 to 97. It's incredible. This is the pivotal one for him. He's our, he's making Fatal Attraction at the same time, but he's, still, he's known in Hollywood as Kirk Douglas's son first. He's known in Hollywood as an incredible producer who is involved in a bunch of great movies and was really considered smart, and then third as... You know, a good famous actor, but not somebody that was going to win an Oscar. Romance in the Stone was a huge hit, but in terms of, if you said a year earlier, especially like yeah. reading, like I bought all these old Premiere magazines, thinking yes. they might come in handy once or twice for a rewatchables. Turns out, huge story about Wall Street and Premiere magazine with a lot of stuff that isn't on the internet, and even like you can see in like three months of Premiere magazines, they're not considering it like a major movie. I mailed you one feature at the end of the year, how they're like, what kind of movie year was 87? Wall Street's yeah. not mentioned the first six paragraphs. They had this one in March where it's like 99 critics weigh in on all the movies. Wall Street was like, basically, it was it was one to four stars, basically, for what you'd recommend. It was somewhere like in the two to two and a half range with the best critics in the world. And I don't know what happened, but at some, maybe it was cable. It, might, it was on a lot. It's certainly a super rewatchable movie. Douglas winning the Oscar yeah. helps. There but by the end of, of the 80s, this was an iconic 1987 movie. That well, was not the case when it came out. There are a lot out. of
3: people who think, I mean, there are, there are certain things in the movie that like, people who watch movies a certain way professionally, I think, have an issue with certain things. And we can talk about them. They're, they're, they're real things. Like, I know what it is. But on the other hand, the movie has proven itself. So these people had these little concerns. And it's something I think about as a, as a filmmaker, which you've got to tune out all that bullshit and you've got to make the shit you want to make the way you want to make it. But there are a couple of moments, like when Bud Fox says, who am I? Like mm. when Gecko puts the raw meat as symbolism in front of Buddy. State there tar-tar. are things like that, that critics and like professional movie watchers are going to look at in, in their time and be like, well, that's overwrought, that's overly, that's overdone, that's symbolism that's too heavy. But then 20 years later, 30 years later, you watch it and you're like, no, no, that's just so of the time. And it's, he's trying to point something out about these people. Like, I don't like the who am I moment. I would, you know, if given my druthers, I would cut that out of the movie. Me too. But it doesn't, but to me, I understand why at the time someone watching that, they're watching 20 movies a day, a critic, and they're watching that. They're just like, oh, he's telling me what I'm supposed to think, so I'm going to ding him for it. Three stars, not four. But the movie itself has proven that it gets people on a cellular level. Like, I've never recommended Wall Street to anybody who didn't call me or email me or text me the next day and be like, holy shit, that movie's incredible. Because the performances, and I got to say this about Michael, Michael is the single, as professional and as prepared an actor as I've ever worked with and as I've ever seen. Uh, He is... The fact that he had a hard time with the dialogue at the beginning of Wall Street, if that's true, the way Stone says it, that movie must have changed his approach because when I worked in the at Solitary Man, he basically speaks the entire movie. I mean, he speaks 100 pages of dialogue. And I mean, he was cold. He just knew it cold and knew everybody else's lines too. He's one of those people who's, like you just said, he's smart as a producer. I mean, Michael Douglas is basically the smartest person in any room he walks into, just in mm. terms of raw intellect, well, and what's so great and why Gecko's so perfect is Gecko's the smartest guy. It's like an actor doing exactly what he should do because Michael's that smart. He just knows, he's ahead of you. Every time you start a sentence with Michael, you see in his eyes, he just knows where he's, he's already, he's already into the net. He's just ahead of me. He's amazing. Like
0: well, Michael. he creates this character that I think if you say best 80s characters has to be mentioned. It, I don't know what the list is um, if you're doing top five, top 10, whatever, whatever your list right. is, he's on it. It's just you're period, totally right. end of story. He has to be. And Gordon Gecko, in a weird way became the movie symbolism persona of all of these people. Cause nobody knows what Ivan Bosky looks like or Micah Milken or any, or whoever, but they remember Gecko and they remember his mentality and his charisma. And, um, it's really, it's a great achievement. So and, and don't sleep said, on the wait, don't sleep on the Pat Riley
3: effect too. The fact that Riley and Michael were such good friends and they both did the hair inspired by the other. I think in that Riley was like the real life version of it. I think it helped. Mm. I think the fact that then Riley was walking around looking like Gordon Gecko helped um like codify that as that thing because there was Riley being the same dude on the basketball court that
0: that Gecko was being in the boardroom. I'm trying to think of Another character in the in 80s range who was that cool. It, to to be that charismatic uh, in that era, because that era is pretty cheesy. You watch I mean, Joel, Joel
3: Joel, Joel in, in risky business. Uh, I think maybe.
0: But he was still a little nerdy though, at least in the first hour of the movie. Sure. It was just it was an uh, era. It
4: cruising. was an era of
0: characters like Maverick and Top Gun, where everyone was over the top. And yeah. there was a a twist of shtick, and Gecko just felt like that that's who he really was. The other thing I I texted this to you, I was saying, you know, this movie is December eighty seven. Is this held up the best? Like if we go backwards of a movie that could just be released right now and not and still seem pretty modern? You threw out First Blood, which I thought was pretty good. That was nineteen eighty two. Yeah, um, First This first is definitely the first still... wave. But if First Blood came out now, that was the only one I thought like you could put First Blood out
3: tomorrow of that time, and it would still be like everybody's favorite movie. So you're in on the First Blood rewatchables? Yes, you, yes, yes. Please, I know it by heart. I will
0: not have to do any research. Yeah. You know, have you ever heard my take that it's the greatest Vietnam movie? Uh,
3: I love that take.
0: Thank it's you. The, Thank it's you. It's the second. It's the second best Vietnam. I for have for it sure. as number
4: one. Um. Wait. No. Right, ha- so-
0: yeah, wait. When's the last time you saw Apocalypse Now? We'll talk about it on the uh, First Blood podcast. Sure. So Stone said, you mentioned his dad was in this for a long time. And so in this premier magazine, which really paid off, that eBay purchase I did, they said, how do you describe the theme of Wall Street? He said, I wanted to concentrate on the ethics of the characters, see where they lose their way, where they lose their sense of values, where net worth starts to equal self-worth. I think Wall Street is really about the urban culture of the 80s. The pressure is enormous on these young guys to produce. I think they're perverted right off the bat. Why would somebody who is making a hundred million have to make another 20 million because he has to stay ahead of the next guy. Money is a way of keeping score. A line in the script says it all. How many boats can you water ski behind? Ultimately it's not about money. It's about power. Ironically, All these years later, you're doing a show called Billions. That that's, I mean, everything he just said in there is is essential to the DNA of Billions, right? Well,
3: you you can't overstate the influence this movie had on Dave and me. I would say that the dialogue in this movie is is one of the five or six things that most influenced the way that we do what we do. I mean, there's no doubt about it. If you look at all of our, I mean, Rounders written ten years later and nine years later or something. I mean, you can just feel that between that and David Mamet, you pretty much could just, that's it, you know, uh, and some, sp- throw some Spike Lee and Quentin in there and, and you pretty much have done it. And no, seriously,
4: like if <laughs> no, I, I know Those it, are that's what good we ones. do, yeah. that's what,
3: that's who we are. You know, that's like what the stuff that we put in our pipe and smoked and, and, and yeah, stones and the thematics of this, look, the world, the world came around again. Everything you were saying before about the eighties, you know, it so applies to the sort of what happened toward the end of Obama. And after, you know, after 2008, after 2008, 2009, everybody started, you know, not everybody, but wall street, the, the greed impetus, the, the, uh, they survived this thing. They were bailed out and they started going crazy again, man. And, We started noticing in the same way that these billionaires were, and we've talked about this on too many of your podcasts, but, but it's the same thing, right? It's the same thing where, where America started celebrating these incredibly wealthy people who were charismatic and had a lot of verbal acuity, verbal smarts. And so it was time again to examine the ethics of those power grabbing people. And that's why I think our show was so um, resonant for people, but it's why this movie as you said, is so applicable to right now. You watch Wall Street, right, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's not ch- it, it. You know, it hasn't changed at all." I, I, you know, to me, I was watching Wolf of Wall Street recently, and I think that the two of them go together very well. Um, and I think they're the two best movies ever made about American business.
0: Yeah, when you talk about this decade, the other piece of it, everything you just mentioned, but you also have the tech billionaires. And they're almost like Gecko 2.0 and somebody like Zuckerberg, who, you know, has just been deplorable in a lot of different ways. But same thing as Gecko, right? How much is enough? How how many water boats do you have to ski behind? And he's actually influencing everyday society in a way that Gecko never could have. But the other thing is when Gecko's talking about how rich
3: you want to be, that's nothing compared to the way what rich people are, really, really rich people are now. Like right. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna talk about your own money or my money, but like people who sell a media company now can make uh, the kind of money of Gordon Gecko, but those people know that compared to Mark Zuckerberg, they're they have no power, <laughs> they have yeah. nothing in the world compared to Mark Zuckerberg or uh, or Elon Musk
4: or Bezos or, any or of these Bezos
3: two. who yeah. who you know Gordon Gecko probably had I mean he talks about fifty hundred million a player, but let's say Gordon Gecko had two hundred and fifty million dollars because let's say Larry Wildman was a billionaire, Terrence Stamp. Uh, You're talking about people now, the kind of wealth, they're like nation states. They don't just have the use of a jet. They have a fleet of jets, these people now. And so when you think about the influence that Gecko was able to exert, there's like no way Jeff Bezos would get arrested now in the same sort of a way. He's untouchable, Mm. Right. right? That guy's like untouchable. Gecko was still grimy and still getting down in it
0: couple other things to talk about this movie, but we're going to take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. You can do it all right in the USAA app. And replacement cost coverage comes standard. That means damaged items are repaired or replaced even if they cost more today than they did when you bought them. Which could put your wallet at ease too, by the way. Tap the banner or visit usaa.com slash homeowners to learn more and get a quote. Restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Hulu, where this March there are enough new shows and movies to keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Stream the all-new documentary, Freakneck, The Wildest Party Never Told. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale set in Japan. And we are covering that on the Prestige TV podcast, by the way. All this and more is on Hulu this month. So what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Okay, so Stone got the idea. He was working on Scarface, became intrigued by a gecko-like acquaintance who had two Hamptons houses, who was trading big money nonstop, had a shitload of assets, and got busted. And that was what planted the seed for him. Um, his best instinct here, other than settling on Douglas, which we'll get into later, it was a settle. Douglas was a fourth choice, but he was all in on Charlie Sheen from Platoon. So gets Charlie Sheen as Bud Fox. Charlie Sheen pretty young at the time. He's only 22 years old. And uh, there's I have some good stuff about this later. But Charlie Sheen is great. And it's a Tom Cruise type part. But Charlie Sheen's better because he has the darker side, which has definitely emerged, uh, and then some over the last 20 25, 30 years. But I look at Charlie Sheen, and I think of some of the work he did in the 80s before, obviously, the wheels came off a little bit for him. I'm going to say David Thompson of Actors. Love it. If, if David Thompson had then been able to come back in his mid-30s as whatever the sports equivalent of a network, sitcom star was like if he had become like a professional volleyball player i i don't know a tennis player whatever but so much potential for him and he was so self-destructive in so many different ways he we don't need us to recap all of it but i think he's really really good in this movie
3: well in those two movies right in platoon and this you had a guy who just put the two of them together right and also i i just want to say because people listen to as eggheady as you and I are getting talking about all the sort of thematics, I mean the movie's a fucking blast. I just yeah. don't want to I don't want to undersell sort of how much fun the movie is. Like if you just like movies where people are busted, you, first of all if you watch this movie you come away with a new 10 insults you can use. You know, I have started, there are ways like I use so many lines from this movie in my everyday life all the fucking time. Yeah. Uh, without even really like consciously clocking, oh yeah that's Wall Street. You know what I mean? It's just unbelievably fun. And one of the things that's super fun is watching Charlie Sheen. Clearly, you can picture, I can, the nights Charlie Sheen was having when he wasn't filming. You can kind of see it on his face. Like, because it's, you know, it's that thing when a guy just becomes a movie star. I mean, he's raised by a movie star, but then now he's, and his brother was a movie star, but then suddenly now he gets his turn. Because
0: I think Emilio got famous a little bit before Charlie. And, so well, and th- we should mention. I mean, most people know this, but his dad was a major, major, major star,
3: huge movie star. Yeah, um, and then became an even bigger star on television later, but a huge movie star, and uh, I mean, starred in Apocalypse Now, you know, uh, uh, and um, and the th- and 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 the thing is that Charlie was clearly like sucked in. What's great about Stone's casting here of Charlie Sheen is. When you can get an actor who's kind of playing in the movie what he's really living in his life, it's a great marriage of things because there's not that much acting that has to happen. And Charlie Sheen, much like Bud Fox, was just becoming really successful. He was just getting money. He was just getting to date the kind of people he wanted to date that He was always a great looking guy and the son of a movie star but you know suddenly he's charlie sheen suddenly he's up for an oscar from platoon and the movie wins best picture and he's the star of it and so he's going through what his character is going through and probably we now know like you said he got lost in exactly the same ways that bud fox got lost
0: oh i have some extra for you this is from that premiere magazine article this is what stone said well first of all he said charlie is only 22 which is crazy. So he's he's three years younger than you would think he would be. When you're and, watching yeah, Daryl this, think he's 25, 26. Yeah, and Daryl
3: Hannah's like four years older.
0: Yeah. He said, Charlie's only 22, which made him much younger than the brokers being busted on Wall Street. But we aged him with good suits, a haircut. He gained a little weight from the good life in New York. His face is a little jallier than normal. He invested his own money in the market, hung out with the young brokers at Bear Stearns and Solomon Brothers drank with them at the South Street Seaport. Kids just out of college who have to pull a 100,000 a year in their first or second year just to get a space on the floor. So Charlie, I can't even imagine what's going on with those guys, but let me tell you something. Was it wasn't just beer.
4: <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: It was it just Miller Lights. I, I think there was no. a lot more going on. Uh, yeah. And you're right. He's living the part in real life as he's Bud Fox, which makes it great. There's also, you know, when you talk about the cast, Marty Sheen, early James Spader, early John C. McGinley, Hal Holbrook, Terrence Stamp, Game of Thrones, uh, Sean Young, Daryl Hannah, right at the exact time you would have wanted both of those two. We could debate them later. Saul Rubinek, James Carrad, and Franklin Cover from the Jeffersons. Amazing. Um, No, no. um, It's just loaded all the way along.
3: Just every one of those people just killing it. And, uh, I mean, yes, Saul Rubinick, when Saul Rubinick says, you know, trail stops with you, it's just chilling. Plus, the great Josh Mostel is in the movie. You know, oh, he's, yeah. there's like uh, half a million shares in the bank. He's Ali the Terminator. <laughs> and anytime you can throw Josh Mostel and Dave and I then threw him in two movies after this, because uh, anytime you can throw him in a movie, he's in Rounders,
0: anytime you can throw him in a movie after Wall Street, you want him. I have written down 27-minute mark, dash, hookers, cocaine, limos, and blowjobs, exclamation point. We are off. Which ties into what you were saying earlier about how much fun this movie is, which we're going to keep saying. Uh, Oscar-wise, basically shut out. And one of the things that it got shut out on, other than Douglas, he gets the best actor, but everything else gets shut out, including the screenplay, which was written by Oliver Stone and Stanley Weiser. Um, Since you're a writer, I thought we would do this. People always skip over who wrote it. How they come up with it, all that stuff. Here, here's what got nominated that year: Moonstruck won. Au revoir les enfants. But yes, yeah, it's
3: an important broadcast
0: movie. news. Hope and Glory and Radio Days from Woody Allen. I, in retrospect, it's, it's a travesty. I don't remember was- Hope and Glory. What's Hope and Glory? I just don't can't remember really it. remember that one either.
3: I just don't remember it right now. I think
0: there was Hope and there was Glory.
3: Oh, in both of those things together.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, you want. But Wall that. Street should have been. It's such a rich, exciting this whole world you're bringing in, I think the degree of difficulty, it's like landing a plane, they landed it. I I wish it had been nominated. The the
3: year before Stone won everything, right? Yeah. So I think people felt like he got his. And as you say, look, I think that there are a couple of moments in the movie that made people count it out at the time. And they rewarded Douglas. And And that's it. And Moonstruck's great, actually. If you watch Moonstruck, like with your family, you'll be so happy. You know, it's a great movie. and and I, radio days is second tier Woody Allen, but you can always nominate Woody. It's never it probably back then before people knew he was a uh, whatever terrible things. Uh, you can Wh- see why Woody. Woody would was like him. Russell
0: Westbrook with the All NBA. He's just getting in every year, and whether it makes sense or not statistically, and, and it, it probably makes sense most of the time. He was you know the best at the time. Well, let me give uh, but, you hold on. Piggybacking your point, when you were saying he won with platoon. So now people, you enter that fuck this guy mode, which is always a dangerous place to be. You've had a ton of success. Yeah. And then people are like, ah, fuck this guy. So Stone said, it's, this is before the movie comes out. He says to Premiere Magazine, it's strange to suddenly be in a front runner position with Wall Street. I like being a dark horse. Celebrity can hurt the creative process if you let it go to your head. You start weighing your image of yourself instead of somehow keeping your head low down to the ground like a bulldog telling a good story not letting your ego stand in the way. So he was very aware of this, that there was this big bullseye in this movie, which in a way makes it even better that the movie was so much fun.
3: Well, well, you know, he, he had won the Oscar for screenwriting for Midnight Express, which is an incredible script. He'd had, you know, I think his own, as he's talked about, his own demons. That's why he wrote Scarface, partially to deal with his mm. own feelings about co- cocaine and substances. And also, I think it's important to say, Stone is a very difficult... Cat to talk about because I I think he's a great artist and I am not at all sure that he's a decent dude. So it's a very complicated thing. You know, it's not like with Woody Allen where I can make a really clear case that even if you aren't sure about whether he really did like the pedophilia, he ma- he did marry this like very young girl who was his his live-in girlfriend's daughter. And There's some I, red flags. I think you can really make a decision or I can make a decision. Like, I'm not going to watch his movies as much as I care about them. Oliver Stone's more complicated. Like, I've met that dude. I've seen him say terrible, horrible shit. I think uh, he came up at a time where directors were incredibly indulged. And, and like, I think he was a bad behaving person and proud of it for a long time. He's a great artist, though. And 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 I think, uh, so for that reason, like, I, I think it's part of why his movies... I think he's a guy who wrestled with those demons. I think some people try to hide them from their work. And I think Stone's way of dealing with what he knew about himself, you know, he always talks about that his dad lived life and spent every dollar and left him $19,000, even though his dad had made a lot of money, was like, I live this way. And, And I think Stone took that lesson and just decided to live hard and fast. And it's a complicated thing talking about Stone. That said, I think he is one of the greatest screenwriters who ever lived and should have been nominated for the Oscar for this movie and probably maybe should have won the Oscar for this movie because even as much as I love Moonstruck, if you list those five movies again, even Radio Days, forgetting Woody was never one that people watched over and over again because it came out right after Hannah. Hannah and her sisters, which is one of Woody's best movies, that was the one right after, or two after, uh, but I think one right after. But uh, this is the movie that people still watch. They don't watch those other movies from 1987. The movie that they watch
0: is Wall Street. Well, and that's why we love doing the rewatchables because sometimes it doesn't make sense what hits in the moment or what, what's get recognized and the movies that kind of endure. It's like this whole other level of where to, where to be. Um, $16.5 million budget, made $41 million. Roger Ebert, three and a half stars. Nice. Really, really, really liked it. And as we said, no other major Oscar knobs. So there you go. Um, what does go in- think? I didn't get Cisco. I just, right. I only care about Raj because he's all over the map. We're going to get to the categories. Most rewatchable scene, our nominees. Marty Sheen's first scene with Charlie. Now, this is a, a pet thing mother's of mine. Your spaghetti. Spaghetti. <laughs> spaghetti. Your mother still
2: makes lousy spaghetti. It's called pasta now, Dad. Spaghetti's out of date. Yeah, so am I. You want a beer? Yeah. Billy, bring a Molson of light for the kid, will you? <laughs>
0: Uh, Like I always say, money is something you only need in case you don't die tomorrow. He's just dropping gems, (gasps) clearly setting up the, all right, Charlie wants to go this way. And here's his dad. He's the working class blue collar guy. Which way should we go? Um, I think what's cool about this scene and one of the variables of this movie is just, I really like when real life sisters are in movies together, real life father and son, real life brothers. It's an extra wrinkle. And in this case, it's great. They look so much like father and son. And it's just, it's this extra layer that I just love. It's so hard to pull off. Uh, Yeah, because how are you going to find two people who are that good,
3: who are, I mean, it's really hard. Acting's really hard. And those two guys are great together. And you could, that moment, I mean, you're a dad, that moment when he looks at Charlie Sheen and he says, you know, you smile just like that when you were a little boy and you were asleep. Like, you totally understand. It's amazing. That's really like, you could see that's a father looking at his child.
0: It's wait, an important so, wait, scene. So that it sets, scene is one of your most rewatchable scenes. Well, I wanted to flag it. I don't okay. we all know what the most rewatchable scene is going to be. I wanted to flag that because I think it's a really important scene. Gecko's first scene, also, I have in uh in most rewatch, Charlie finally gets Bud Fox finally to gets me, into that, Gecko's for office. For me, that
3: I'll tell you, that's high up on my list. We can, yeah, I have a few others. That's super high Says up on to my himself,
0: list. Well, life only comes down to a few moments. This is one of them. Gecko does that. You're the kid who called me 59 days in a row. He's amused by him the whole time. Douglas plays it perfectly, the way he's kind of like half amused but half intrigued. And then he gets that call.
1: He responded to the offer. What? No reason, Chicago. What the hell is Cromwell doing giving a lecture tour when he's losing $60 million a quarter? I guess he's giving lectures on how to lose money. Jesus Christ. If this guy owned a funeral parlor, no one would die. This turkey is totally brain dead. All right, Gordon. Okay.
0: Christmas is over. And he's just, he just, you could say like, oh, oh, he has this side too. And what's cool is they say he has five minutes. And apparently th- I read this on the internet. So it has to be true. If you time it, it's exactly five minutes from the moment he walks she the moment in. She comes in, right. Out. Yeah, that's it. So this is just a great scene. I'm sure as a, as a, as a writer and a guy who loves this shit, you must love this.
3: That scene's incredible. I mean, it's a, uh, it gives you everything. Just where everybody's positioned in the scene, the way the people are behind him, the way that lawyer guy perks up when he says the thing he says about Blue Star, you mm. know, when, when Sheen says it, like the, the tall, thin dude just kind of like leans in. The way Mostel comes in and out twice, you know, Ollie comes in and leaves mm. and then uh, comes The back Terminator. In. The sta- Yeah, the way that scene is staged, when Douglas turns his back to him, when he does it, little things like the way when he does the blood pressure, he doesn't just say, it takes my blood pressure, he says, it takes my blood pressure, it's systolic, diastolic, it's like, yeah, yeah, your blood pressure, I get it. That's what that is. The, just, but, but it's so perfectly the way a guy like this would sort of dominate his setting. Um, the giant office, sm- just sm- the We're random just,
0: minions working over in the corner.
3: The, the artwork with the thing. I mean, to me, that's the the, the scene. But I'm interested in what your other scenes are because I have a few to throw in there too.
0: I have the uh, Gecko's limo pep talk, which I, I think from start to finish isn't in the class of a couple of these other ones. But when he leaves the limo, and then the knock on the window and the, and the window rolls down. And he's like, okay, Mr. Gecko, you got me. And it cuts the Douglas with that smile on his face. That's just a really indelible moment. I
3: think there's a hunk and we'll talk about this for dialogue, but I got to tell, there's a hunk in that scene you're mentioning in the limo scene that I think is responsible for more douchebags going to business school than like any other, like, I think this is the thing, uh, in the same way that the West wing got a generation of kids to go want to work in the white house.
1: Right, this hunk. When Gecko turns to him and says, and I'm not talking about some $400,000 a year working Wall Street stiff, flying first class and being comfortable. I'm talking about liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. Rich enough not to waste time. 50, a hundred million dollars, buddy. A player. Or nothing. Now you have what it took to get into my office. The real question is whether you got what it takes to stay.
3: And I think that rap in that scene sets up the question of the movie. It sets up the ethical question, but it also, I think, I think most people walking into the movie theater, most college age people who are deciding what to do with their lives before they walked into their movie. If you asked them what their financial dreams were, their wildest financial wish, they would have said, Man, if I could make $400,000 a year and fly first class, I'd have it made. And there's Gordon Gecko telling them, no, you're just a sucker if you make $400,000 a year and uh, fly first class. And I could feel it. You could feel people hearing that and being like, my dad lied to me. My family, my teachers lied to me. I, I'll i never, if I have to go be that, a player, because the choice is you could be a player or nothing. And and for me, it's... um. That's an incredible moment in the movie of, and, a, and an incredible cultural moment
0: too. I agree. It it did, they, in the research, Sheen, Douglas, and Oliver Stone all say that after this movie came out, for years and years after, when they would run into people, they would say, you're the reason I wanted to become a broker. You're the reason I wanted to go to Wall Street. You're the reason I went to business school. This movie, he, Cocktail, I guess, could say the same for a bunch of bartenders. The, sure. the movies were insanely influential. Next, uh, rewatchable scene. I just love montages, as everyone who, who listens to this podcast know, The montage when Anacott Steele finally takes off. Oh, it's incredible. It's just a really good montage. It's, it's got music, things are moving, lots of things, people calling. You get the director cameo. Oh, yeah. Just a lot of good stuff there. All right, next one. But the Sir Larry scene to me is I got also- it. I okay. got it coming. All right, go. I have Gecko versus Sir Larry leading to the beach scene. Nice. Sir Larry comes in. It's like, oh. Uh, he's Man. like, bud, why don't you stay? Oh, yeah, okay. And then it's him versus Sir Larry. And then he's like, you're a two-bit pirate and green mailer. And then he does the pause and he goes- Gecko. He just says it with such contempt. Not only would you sell your mother to make a deal, you'd send her COD. And they're just going back and forth.
1: We're talking about lives and jobs. Three and four generations of steelworkers. Correct me if I'm wrong. But when you acquired CNX Electronics, you laid off what? 6,000 workers? Jemson Fruit, 4,000? That airline you bought. Um, I could break you, mate. In two pieces over my knees. You know it. I know it. I could buy you six times over. I could dump the stock just to burn your ass. But I happen to want the company. And I want your block of shares.
0: And then finally they do the negotiation. He storms out. And Bud Fox drops a little Art of War on Gecko. And
3: then Gecko like gives him a little, almost like gives him a noogie. Like yeah. gives him like the 80s noogie. Like you never see a
0: noogie in the movies anymore. <laughs> and he, there he is right in there giving him the noogie in the head. So right but, after that goes to the beach. Sunset Hampton or Sunrise Hampton's, he's got the 45 foot cell phone and he's like, Hey, bud, uh, I'm gonna make you rich, bud fox. This is your wake up call. The combo of those two scenes is in the running. That's the money never,
3: I mean, yeah, that's the money never sleeps thing. Oh, yeah, but but also, like, you gotta, like, Terrence Stamp, if you've never seen The Limey, The Limey is incredible, and Terrence Stamp is amazing in that Steven Soderbergh movie. But he's one of the great movie stars in a way, less known here, but like a real legend. And, and I love that Stone realized I have to bring, that's a really hard casting challenge if you think yeah. about it, Bill. So you got one of the most, you know, what you say is true about Michael that like at the time people didn't realize the actor, but he was one of the best looking, most charismatic guys in Hollywood, Michael Douglas, Hollywood royalty. No and question. you have to bring somebody in who you believe can dominate him. And Terrence Stamp can dominate him. So you have to go English. Scene.
0: Yeah, you have to go English guy. Classier and richer, and he's a sir. And it's like the one thing Gecko could never get is to be a sir.
3: Yeah, and so it's amazing. And I love when you said that mother thing, and I love when Gecko goes, well, since you brought my mother into it, 72 and a quarter.
1: Well, now, considering you brought my mother into it, 71.50. Done. You're here for my lawyers tomorrow, 8 a.m. Good night.
0: You know, it just
3: gives them when they're negotiating. So, yeah, I think that's one of the best. There's some billions DNA in that scene. Absolutely, no doubt about
0: it. No doubt. Oh, that's great. That's a very satisfying nine minutes. Next one, another montage. Bud buys an apartment, and the talking heads heads, coming. And it's like, wait, what's going on here? And it's, I in the running for my favorite talking heads song. There's wine, there's fresh pasta, there's homemade sushi. Charlie Sheen's wearing this smoking jacket. That's an official smoking jacket, right? It's like an Argyle smoking jacket. David Byrne's playing in the background. Daryl Hannah's looking great. She's decorating the apartment. Um, it's it's just a winner. So my buddy, I have a buddy who's a, a real
3: enthusiast for this show. And for he's a New York lawyer guy, but he's amazing. Knows everything about Japanese culture. And his name is Tom Kretchmar. And Tom bought and waited till last night to open. He's had this. He bought it for 300 bucks off eBay. He bought the Audio-Technica nigirico which is the world's first automatic sushi maker that they use in the scene and my friend my friend tom bought it five years ago and he opened it last night in honor of this podcast we're doing today oh he sent me me pictures of it working like last night he videoed it working and it works like a charm still which at the time it was like in the movie nobody had ever seen this comes up later for me in my uh what's what's like uh
0: What's um, age the, the best?
3: The, what's age the worst and the best. But I would say that the, uh, the sushi machine is amazing. And my yeah. friend Tom actually broke out the sushi machine last night. And he said he did a bunch of research. And that machine, which was the first thing to ever allow you to make sushi rice, what caused it, he sold out, flew off the shelves. And I have to think Wall Street had something to do with that. It was like you couldn't find it in stock the year that it came out.
0: Well, it also had something to do with me diving in on the Talking Heads after I heard that song. Like, what CD is that on? And then that was it. Oh, that's uh, awesome. A couple more. The Greed is Good, Teldar. It's the famous speech. You know, on the one hand, I, I almost remember it being better. Every time I watch it, I'm like, ah, it's actually a little underwhelming. But then it ends really nicely. But there's some weird edits in it. But he has, he has, you know, he has the quotes, I'm not a destroyer of companies. I'm a liberator of them. Greed is good. We'll play the clip right now, and then people can hear it.
1: I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed
0: It's a great speech, but it's the iconic speech of this movie. There's other scenes I like more, honestly, including this next one. Martin Sheen, Gecko and the meeting with the union reps and Sheen just sizing him up. Sheen smelling the sushi, which I thought was a really nice touch. Uh, And then Gecko lays it all out and Bud lays it and it's like, oh, it's going to be great. And there's this pause and then you just hear this and it's Martin Sheen laughing and he does that. Uh, he came into Egypt, a pharaoh who did not know.
2: <laughs> well, I guess if a man lives long enough, he gets to see everything. I do mean everything. What else you got in your bag of tricks, Mr. Gecko? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Frankly, Carl, I can't see giving much more, but if you have any
2: suggestions, I'll be very happy to listen. There came into Egypt, a pharaoh who did not know. I beg your pardon, is that a proverb? No, a prophecy. The rich been doing it to the poor since the beginning of time. The only difference between the pyramids and the Empire State Building is the Egyptians didn't allow unions. I know what this guy's all about. Greed. He don't give a damn about Blue Star or the unions. He's in and out for the buck, and he don't take prisoners. Now, wait just a
0: minute. it. and then leads to the battle that they have in the elevator, which there feels like some real-life shit in there.
2: He's using you, kid. He's got your prick in his back pocket, but you're too blind to see it. No. What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he has. What you see is a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his. WHAT?! That's because you never had the guts to go out into the world and stake your own claim!
0: Yeah,
3: never judge a man by the size of his wallet! Yeah, by the size of
2: the wallet!
0: And then he does that. I don't go to sleep with no whore. I don't wake up with no whore. But it really feels like Charlie and Marty are working out some stuff. Did you feel that when you watch it? Yeah. Uh,
3: how? Whatever they, whatever they were bringing up from there is. Yes, I agree. It's incredible. But I also think when get, when when Sheen says that quote, it is suddenly like his character from Apocalypse Now surfaces. I mean, you got this the the, the dad in the the dad who's going ah mm. oh, money never you know the hail fellow well met dad who's shaking hands with all the union guys, and then suddenly he's spewing out biblical quotes, and it's like suddenly he's this other guy. But I I do think uh, Sheen's great in that scene, and you feel Bud's embarrassment. I mean, the, it's an amazing thing, right? This dad who who's just willing to embarrass his son like that because he cares about the workers that he's responsible for. And it's so yeah. o- opposite of everything that Bud's trying to do. Plus, he sees what a bullshit thing, the way they decorated the apartment. And, and you got to mention the other hilarious thing in that scene is that Gecko drops his sushi through a hole in the... Right. Gecko tries to put his plate and she down, does and that. It, it
0: happens all the time. And it goes <laughs> right. right through. It's a great table. Nice job. Amazing to me. Yeah. I really like that scene. The A uh, couple more. It's, Sheen and Gecko, when he finally confronts him. this is when he does the how many yachts can you water ski behind.
2: So tell me, Gordon, when does it all end, huh? How many yachts can you water ski behind? How much
1: is enough? It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. Money itself isn't lost or made. It's simply uh, transferred from one perception to another. Like magic. This painting here... I bought it 10 years ago for $60,000. I could sell it today for $600. The illusion has become real. And the more real it becomes, the more desperate they want it. Capitalism at its finest. How much is enough for it? The richest 1% of this country owns half our country's wealth, $5 trillion. One third of that comes from hard work. Two thirds comes from an inheritance, interest on interest accumulating to widows and idiot sons. And what I do, stock and real estate speculation. It's bullshit. You got 90% of the American public out there with little or no net worth. I create nothing, I own.
0: This is what's this is the point Stone's really trying to hammer us home. But those guys are really good in that scene, and those are hard scenes to pull off.
3: Yeah, they're great in it. He wrote the shit out of that scene. And it's also coming off of, you know, watching this amazing, uh, screenwriting-wise, hard thing, which is Bud's with Spader. And then he gets walked into that, that meeting where he realizes the, the, the blue star is being carved up and his father was right. Gecko was wrong. And then there's that great little moment where they go, shortest tenure for a, a company president ever, buddy. And then you realize, uh, oh God, he's, he's, he he's got, fucked. He got and worked. Then, And then Gecko says, you're still president of the company, which is just so condescending. You know, you'll still Mm. be president of the company. And that goes with the dad saying to him, well, he was a baggage handler for three summers. He might as well become president of a, you know, just (laughs) mortifying, just terrible, mortifying. What other scenes? You got anything anything else? Just quick
0: ones. I have the Blue Star stock roller coaster montage leading to Gecko flipping out. And then immediately, Sheen going to work the next day. And it's a morgue. And he goes, did somebody die? Yeah, yeah. That scene of him walking in is really good. And then the last one is just their last. Their last scene is fun. Where the, I gave you your manhood, I gave you everything, and it turns out he's got the wire. So I am going for my favorite scene. Um, I really like the Martin Sheen Gecko meeting with the fight in the elevator. I think it's just a great five minutes. I'm there every if I'm flipping channels. I'm there every time for that.
3: But I would just say that's not what bring. That is not. What brings you back to the movie over and over again what brings you back to the movie over and over again is the scene when gecko meets bud that's like if we're real like the, the, five scene when minutes, bud first, the five minutes is like to me and then the only little ones you didn't mention the first scene with james spader where you get the amazing what's in it from Wah. Yeah, yeah for me is like i know that was probably what's in it for me in the script and spader was like can i try something and stone was like do it and spader said that and it was just like yeah man that's fucking great you know what he said
0: he said, "Can I sprinkle some James Spader into this?" Yeah. And they were like, "Cool. Goes, just do a it. dose of James,
3: a little bit." He goes, "What's in it for moi?" And it's just an amazing moment of like these disgusting. I mean, it just shows you how disgusting all these guys were, yeah. like like this lawyer who's just willing to do that. And then I think I think the other scene that that I think you'll agree is the whole opening. I mean, the whole opening of him just walking in and entering and you meet Marv and you get Nicks and Chicks and you get here rookie and he gives him you know, he gives him the, the $100 and that, that whole run where you meet everybody. I mean, talk about a high bar of difficulty. And, and, and that's the, also what's tough about that scene or great as a viewer is. That's the first scene in the movie. And if you see that scene, you're, you're strapped in. You're not turning the movie off. So I think for me, those, those scenes. But the I think you're right.
0: I'm switching to your choice. First five minutes. We're going to take a break. Then I have some more stuff. This episode is brought to you by Royal Caribbean. It's so hard to choose what kind of vacation you want. Beach, island hopping, hiking, culture. What about choosing Royal Caribbean and going on all the vacations at once? You could test out your surfing skills. You can go on multiple onboard pools. I mean, think about it. If you go island hopping to a jaw-dropping range of Caribbean destinations, including the Bahamas, Bermuda, Jamaica, Mexico, many more, you could hike a Jamaican jungle. You can climb an Alaskan glacier. You can sail to Europe. You can snorkel along, call for reefs, jump off a waterfall, go, go jet skiing. You can do it all. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Visit RoyalCaribbean.com to learn more. All right, special category best gecko quote. Here are our nominees. You ready? To it. I don't bet on darts on the board, I bet on sure things. Jesus, if this guy under funeral parole, no one would die. <laughs> I want every orifice in his body flowing red. I don't even know what that means. Like all Brits, he thinks he was born with a better pot to piss in. I like this because I secretly hate British people. If you're not inside, you're outside. Well, considering you brought my mother into it, 71.50. Money never sleeps, pal. Yeah, amazing. Or my personal favorite, you're smart enough not to buy into the oldest myth running. Love fiction created by people to keep them from jumping out of windows amazing yeah you're twisted gordon i miss you is what daryl yeah. hannah
3: then says after that yeah i love all those those are all amazing there are a couple of little ones that i said that um have lasted for me in terms of the way they get into your own language that are gecko ones and one is just uh i love when when uh, someone says their name to you just quietly in my head so you say hope you're intelligent he goes, i'm bud fox he goes. So you say, and then, you know, talk at you, which is just unbelievable and so gross when he's always like, I'll talk at you. And then Buddy says that to his dad later, which is just amazing. Hmm. And uh, save the cheap salesman talk. It's obvious. Good one. That's just dark and good. Yeah.
0: What's aged the best? We mentioned sushi. I think sushi, sushi, I can't even say it. Sushi has aged incredibly well from in this movie being used as this kind of foreign crazy device. And now it's like a freaking own economy. I was going to flip it on you, yes, but also
3: sushi as an exotic, weird thing you have to smell has aged the worst. Oh, good. Good.
0: Fair enough. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because it's great. And cigarettes have aged the worst, though. Um, Real-life family members playing family members. I just like the quote, you know what my dream is to someday be on the other end of that phone call? Uh, Because that's kind of the whole point of the movie. Um, Where the real cheesecake is. The whole blue horseshoe system, pretty solid. I know you love that stuff. I'm sure you've I'm sure you ripped it off in some way in one of the billion seasons, right? We, we actually say in one of the billion seasons, Blue Horseshoe loves some company. We say it, yeah. Uh, Sheen getting the first Gecko call, tremendous. I loved Gecko's art and rifle collection. I thought Amazing. it was underrated. I, w- I could have watched the, some more the deleted Luger? scenes. Yeah, yeah. Ra- the
3: rarest, <laughs> rarest in the world. And, and then dude gets to say, but rarest still is your interest in Anacostia. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh,
0: the cigarette smoking is tremendous. Amazing. I just miss these movies where the where people are just smoking everywhere. Elevators doesn't matter. I enjoy, uh, so is it Mr. Cocksucker now? I thought it was just a great one-liner. Well, it's the best. Um, one of the first private jet scenes probably ever, right? It's a great private jet scene, yeah. Is that, I can't, I was trying to think of what movie before this movie would have had a private jet scene. Yeah, I don't know. Because when you're, you're watching right. it, you don't, I remember in the 80s being like, what's that? Is that like a commercial, like you didn't even know what it was. Um. We're all one trade away from humility, bud. Holbrook, who just is coming in as the wet blanket all the time with, you're on a roll, kid. Enjoy it while it lasts because it never does. Um, Spader as a what's age the best. The same role he'd play, I think, 27 more times. I'm in yeah. every time. Yeah, that's
3: he just good. Spader,
0: Spader age the best is awesome. How about Fly Me to the Moon as the theme song of a movie? Incredible. Perfect. What a choice. I had to get Sinatra to sign off on it, probably. Very smart. Um, the minute I laid eyes on you, call back the second time from that guy. Amazing. Amazing. And his cane, I think his cane, that guy's cane has really lasted strong, strong walking stick. This quote, you may find out someday that when you've had money and lost it, it's worse than never having it at all. Good one. Good senior yearbook quote. And then Holbrook following up with the main thing about money. It makes you do things you don't want to do. Another good one. Let us. And then he has this one. This could be another senior year, but this is Holbrook again, man looks in the abyss. There's nothing staring back at him at that moment. A man finds his character and that's what keeps him out of the abyss.
3: Yeah. It's incredible. Totally incredible. And, uh, and Holbrook, he said, was modeled. That's the character modeled after Stone's after
0: thought. his dad, yeah, his dad Lou. He,
3: he said his dad used to just come up to you and just say, "No small talk. Just hit you with like over the top with these, like, daggers like that. And uh, and he wanted to um he wanted to honor it. I think Terrence Stamp is one of the things that's aged the
0: best, that's especially with the Game of Thrones connection, where you're like, hey, th- is that a younger Game yes. of Thrones guy if you just knew him for that. Sheen's last tip create instead of living off the buying and selling of others really strong. Honestly, a lot of stuff in this movie has aged the best, maybe not the cocaine, but, uh, what's your, what's your number one. Oh, I had one more geckos, uh, little future black sheep son where they, they, they show him, and it's like, Oh man, that kid's going to be a problem. And then in the sequel, which I watched, uh, two nights ago, they reveal the son like was he ended up he overdosed he died yeah he died and it's like they laid all, they laid all the groundwork on the one thing when he's riding around throwing strawberries and it's like oh man that kid's yeah. not turn out well kid loves electronics uh <laughs> he loves electronics no
3: it's true it's uh um so you have terrence stamp for what's age the best i do i have terrence stamp but well sir, yeah because i have terrence stamp yeah i have terrence stamp in that moment that scene what that scene does that figure that he cuts, yeah, it's classic. It jumps out at you. I think it's so modern. It's so modern, also. And I Michael, have the I,
0: real life family members, uh, the, the the real life dad, something. I think is is really good, and and I, love I that. really like that. I feel like I have a whole history with Martin Sheen, like you. He's been in our lives basically since we were babies. Hundred percent. Ten five decades of Martin Sheen. What stage the worst? You texted this to me, the beach scene where they had to loop Daryl Hannah's voice in. For the entire scene, what do we call those? What's that? What's the movie version of that term? A loop? No, looping. That's what okay. you say when you loop it. Yeah, because you have to overdub it, but you're looping it. You're you're
3: re-recording the 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 ADR. But you could call it's it a, ADR. ADR. Scene. But it's that scene is is rough because when she's asked, uh, I put this out on Twitter because I didn't say we were doing this, but I put this out on Twitter, which is she. He says, you know, what do you want basically in life? And she says, a Turner, a perfect canary diamond world peace, the best of everything. And I, I was like, a Turner, is that the, pa- the, you know, there's a painter named Turner. And I was like, is it the painter? And I think that's what it is, a Turner. But that's a weird, it's not like saying a Picasso or a Van Gogh, a Turner. That's what she wants. A perfect canary diamond, then third world peace. Yeah. That scene is rough scene. And that it's leads also, to the
0: next. What's age the worst is Daryl Hannah is bad in this movie, and I, Stone knows it. And there's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff on the internet about this. It's a miscast, and she, every scene with her a, it never as, feels. Right. As
3: a guy who co-wrote uh, a disappointing female part in a classic movie, uh, I'll say it's the writing. It's always the writing, and 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 I mean, he gives her a line like "I'd like to do for furniture what Laura Ashley did for interior fabrics," and I can't blame that on. I can't blame that on Daryl Hannah. Like, the, the, and I'll tell you something fascinating. I went back and I watched deleted scenes from Wall Street. Where were those? I found them on 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 the YouTube, Apple TV no, like on Apple TV. Like oh, deleted no. deleted scenes. I didn't know about this. And uh, I wasn't holding out on you. Yeah, I told you. I was How are you more commentary. prepared
0: than I was for my own podcast? It I,
3: sucks. <laughs> but but here's what's amazing. There was an earlier scene, Bill. You're not going to believe it. There's an earlier scene where. Sheen walks up to Daryl Hannah in a club and hits on her, mm. and and gets faced. Can't get. She's like, doesn't give him the time of day. And he's like, let me buy you a drink. And he goes to buy a drink. And then that Mister, that other guy comes over, Mister Moneybags or whatever. And they walk away. And that's why at the party when he first sees her, he's seen her before. Mm. And so at the party, you know, he goes. That's when he's just like, oh, I think that the way he starts in, it's because they'd already had this like really intense. Interaction. That's a bad edit. It's a weird edit. Yeah, it's a weird edit out of the movie. But I guess he felt like she, you know, he was it had a long movie and he, he had to cut it out. And one other scene that was cut out is the very end of the movie used to be her on the steps giving him a hug as he's going to jail. That's a good edit out. He cut that out. And I think that was a great edit. Yeah. She comes up and apologizes to him on the steps.
0: Well, you know, the he, other thing with the uh, on the steps. Tell me when he's walking up there, there's a magazine stand and he's on the cover of fortune magazine oh, I missed you see that. It for like a split second. I didn't even know. I, I saw it in my, oh, I missed that, yeah. but, but, but the Daryl Hannah thing, freaked because so obviously stone had a different kind of
3: an architecture in mind. And so you don't know, is it the way that character was written? Is it the way she played it? it you know, they didn't get along during it. He talks about Sean Young, I guess, freaked her out. You know, yeah. Sean Young came up to stone, right? In the middle and said like- Tried to
0: steal the part.
3: I should, But in front of Daryl Hannah said like, I yeah. should be playing that part, which is a, an odd move. Yeah. And so I can't- and, and Daryl Hannah did look like she was supposed to look. And I think that obviously was what was important to
0: those guys at that time. In the research, multiple people said she, you know, she was a pretty old, old school, like against all of these things. Like she was a free spirit, I'm um, against wealth, and just kind of didn't like the movie. And they yeah. felt like from day one, Stone said like, I, it became clear. Like, I don't know why she even wanted to be in this movie in the first place. So he has this in Premiere magazine because they asked her about it. She said, Daryl had problems with the character. It wasn't a character she particularly liked. Um, she had a major problem trying to learn the language, voice coach, all that stuff. Then this is another what's say the worst. I was tough with her. I beat her up in the metaphorical sense. And in the early stages, I'm sure she wanted to quit. I think I made her cry a few times. Oh
4: my gosh. But I wasn't
0: really pleased with her wantonness and passiveness, which were difficult to get through. She needs a very, very strong director. I'm not sure I succeeded. That's a tough one. I don't, that wouldn't have aged well in 2020, I feel like.
3: No, that's, that's, uh, that's old school director stuff trying. And as I said, I think he has, I think he's got difficult you know, I think that that's a guy who's had to work on himself because the mode of what you were supposed to act like then, it was a very traditional, sort of role with an actress. You know, guys used to slap actresses to get performances out of them. And uh,
0: that was the famous SNL sketch with Belushi. You can't, right? I mean, horrible. Yeah, horrible. Yeah. You can't slap. He plays an Sam, Sam Peckinpah. Yes, yeah, right. And he's like throwing Gilda Radner through windows and doors and stuff. Yeah. But you know, read old
3: Hollywood biographies. I mean, they're all full of that stuff. And sometimes, you know, the culture was such that the actress would be like, you know, but it was worth it. He got the performance out of me because everybody bought into this fucking way of doing things.
0: But Meryl Streep said Hoffman did that to her that he slapped her. I don't remember that, scenes. really? Oh yeah, that's that was a big deal. In Kramer out.
3: versus Kramer?
0: In Kramer versus Kramer, and she was really upset about it and still had a grudge decades So later I can't
3: bag it. on Daryl Hannah because I do think the effect, so I agree with you, right? I think she has to say crazy shit and there's this vapidity in the character.
0: So let's just say the character aged the worst because it's not a good character. Um, yeah. Also, what's aged the worst, the Dave Winfield reference. <laughs> We're talking about highest paid athletes. Yes, Dave Winfield, the than- go-to in 1987. Gecko's handheld TV- where he's like, look at this, two-inch screen. I actually had one of those in the late 80s. Uh, yeah. Gecko's uh, gigantic core of the cell phone. Apparently, the first ever in a movie. And he narrowly beats uh, Sir Larry, who has one later on the yacht. Oh, so there's awesome. two. I don't know if they used the same one, but that thing was like a fucking spaceship. Uh, Darian's plan to do for furniture what Lara Ashley did for, Laura Ashley did for Fabrics. Just, I, I
3: asked that on Twitter today. Oh, my I said, my who God. did it? Wait, I asked on Twitter... I just want to see if we got some good answers. I asked who did it, like who ended up doing that plan. Shabby Chic seems to be the answer that Shabby yeah. Chic did what she was. Uh,
0: Shabby Chic did what she
3: was talking about.
0: Blue Star's lead union rep, just a bad actor. It happens. Maybe somebody yeah. oh, that called guy in is, sick. that sick. Yeah, that, that guy. That guy. That guy's
3: cheesy. I don't know
0: what he's. He's out of like a good, and though, Shirley the Shirley
3: The flight attendant's rep woman is good.
0: Yeah, he's out of like a Fantasy Island episode. And then uh, the other What's Age the Worst is just, I I watched the sequel again this weekend. It was a little better than I remembered. It's still not great. And I guess the question is, do I wish that movie had happened or not? Do I wish Wall Street just existed on its own without a sequel? That would be my pick. I think it could have been worse. It's watchable. Shia LaBeouf's actually really good in it. Um, But for the most part, eh. I, yeah, I didn't love that movie.
3: Uh, I, think I hope that, it
0: doesn't discourage you from a Rounders 2 sequel with Affleck and Damon.
3: I think that uh, I, you got to produce it. I think that um, <laughs> cigarettes being smoked indoors, all the indoor smoking age, the worst.
0: Oh, I love that.
3: Yeah. Uh, you I'm like pro, it? I'm
0: pro. I'm pro. That's fine. Um, no, I'm just pro the old school when, when cigarettes are just like all the president's men, when Hoffman's just smoking in elevators. Yeah. But
3: when, <laughs> I, just oh, I like love it. it too. But but when, uh, when Gecko lights up the cigar inside, it takes you, it took me out of, I'm like, oh yeah, remember when I had a whole conversation in my that's head fair. about how you yeah, could never, good. you could
0: never write a light, like, light a cigarette, a cigar up in a, in a room like that. Oh, I have some casting what ifs for you. Do it. 21st Century Fox wanted Warren Beatty to play Gecko. He wasn't interested. Oliver Stone wanted Richard Gere, but Gere passed. And this is during this nine year stretch of terrible Richard Gere movies after Officer and a Gentleman where, and Goldman writes about it in one of the, one of his chapters about Gere, Pretty Woman comes out, Richard Gere becomes a huge star again. And he has this whole chapter in one of the books about, all right, so was Richard Gere not a star during the seven years when he made these movies? And it's like King David, the Cotton Club. Um, but some of it's bad luck. And I think if he had been Gecko, I don't think he would have been a hundred percent good as Michael Douglas, but I think he would have been good. I think this was a good Richard Gere part and he would have looked great. I think he could have carried the charisma. And the only thing I can think of, he only did a movie like this once, this movie that Chris Ryan and I love called Internal Affairs. And Richard yeah. Gere just dials it up in that movie. And he's like sadistic and super sexual and charismatic. And you're like, whoa, what's going on with this? But he doesn't this? really
3: do the verbal pyrotechnics, Richard. I, he's a, I love Richard Gere. He doesn't So you do don't the, think he could have ca- carried off the rat-a-tat-tat? No, the verbal, it's just not what he does. If you think about it, like he doesn't really do these big, huge bursts of page long dialogue. He, he, the way he, you know, Michael in this movie thinks so, so fast. And Richard Gere is more like a slow burn. If you just think Hmm. about what Richard Gere does as an actor, it's more of a slow burn. Whereas Michael. He's a studier. Yeah, you're right. He, and, and and so Gecko would have been quite different. Beatty obviously could do anything, but as you know, from reading Goldman's books, Beatty just has these conversations for months on end and then says no to the movie. And I think that's what he did to stone also, like what he does to Goldman on misery. You know what Richard Gere
0: could do?
4: I got nowhere else to go. (laughs)
3: The best. Better than anybody. Yeah, better than anybody. Uh,
0: that's from Officer and a Gentleman, a movie producer and, and, Craig has and, and, definitely and never can, seen.
3: He can really um shine up a shoe nice if he has to after he says that. Put it well, nicely and he down could also, under everybody's thing.
0: He could also murder his wife's boyfriend and and lug him into a giant elevator is another thing he's really good at. Uh So I don't know if this is true, but it was on the internet. Apparently Al Pacino revealed in a 1992 Barbara Walters interview that he turned down the role of Gordon Gecko. This is during the time when Pacino wasn't really acting. He was doing play stuff in New York city. I don't know if I believe this one. I'm going to, I'm going to say bullshit. Um, what we do know is Tom Cruise did want the Bud Fox part and he did meet with Oliver Stone to try to lobby him. But Oliver Stone was already down the road. with. Here's what I bet
3: you happened with Pacino. Here's what I bet happened.
0: Okay. I would bet you that his agent, the head of whoever
3: his agency is got the script sent it to Al and said, we should. you should do this movie. And Al went, I don't want to do it. And to Al, it was like he was offered the movie. Even if Oliver, because they knew at the time, if Al said yes, they'd get him the movie. And, and yeah. that's probably what happened. So that Stone never offered it to him. But I bet you Mike Ovitz or whoever the equivalent guy was, was like, Hey, Al, this is a good one. Let me show it to you. And, and he didn't want to do it for
0: whatever That's reason. fair. What about Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise lobbying for Bud that's Fox? That's crazy I story. I that.
3: That I, well, Stone tells that also on the director's commentary, what you said. He, he wanted it, but he'd already committed to um, uh, Charlie Sheen. And then that's why then
0: later they did make that movie, Born on the Fourth of July, again. So Cruise is like, okay, watch this. I'm doing Cocktail. We'll see we'll see what's the better Wall Street movie. You watch you watch yourself, Buster. But, but you know what Stone gets chippy about is they
3: were making Bright Lights, Big City with Michael J. Fox at the same time in New York. And yeah. on the commentary, 20 years later, Stone's like, they're making that movie at the same time. Ah, too bad that one didn't do so well. Like he, mm, he did not like that they were doing a cocaine New York City movie um, at the so same time. So that's a
0: movie, I, I know both of us love Michael J. Fox. That was a miscast. Miss. Yeah, I wasn't miscast, ready for I michael j fox as the lead of that movie Great that had book. to be downey jr that? would have been a, a home run a grand slam amazing different amazing. type of thing uh, another casting would have this is crazy oliver stone gave charlie sheen the choice jack lemon or martin sheen as your father that's incredible and charlie picked his father imagine if he picked jack lemon tough one at thanksgiving
3: yeah, that's rough. What would you
0: do if Sammy was like, yeah, I picked Jack Lemon over Yeah, that'd be
3: there. so weird. No, if Simmons, if Sammy was like, I pick Simmons?
0: <laughs> yeah. I'll take Simmons. Yeah, take forget Simmons. my dad. Um, yeah, and then okay. Stone, Stone said about Daryl Hannah, she was not happy doing the role. I should have let her go. All the all my crew wanted to get rid of her after one day of shooting. My pride was such that I kept saying I was going to make it work. There's a ton of Sean Young stuff as well about how she almost got fired. They cut they cut her role. There's this whole scene where apparently Charlie Sheen and her have an affair and that's why Gecko was so mad about it. And they just basically, he wrote that scene, they chopped all of it out because she was a nightmare. Next category, Best That Guy, a.k.a. the Joey Pants Award. Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. Go ahead. So, I, I mean, Franklin Cover... If, Nobody under 40 even remembers the Jeffersons, but he w- he had a huge Jeffersons part. And then uh, Josh Mostel, I think. I don't know if he's Josh Mostel to most people. I think they just know him as that guy uh, with that I, face, but they don't know what his name is.
3: And and they don't know his dad as the producer's guy or any of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how How do you separate out the Joey Pants Award from the Dion uh, Waters Award? Because this is a Pets pure, Heat I know Shad.
0: who that person is, but I can't remember what their name is or where I've seen them before. The Joey Pats Award is only yeah. that. Yep.
3: Yeah. Then, then it's, I think it's McGinley, right? Or is he too famous? No, he's now?
0: too famous. You know, he's John C. McGinley. Now, you know that you're saying. I think he even knew it in the eighties. Well, in, he was in platoon. Movie, he only was in platoon with, with Sheen. And then that one. all
3: right. So yeah. Okay. Franklin Cobra then that's the guy the
0: Vincent know, Hanna give me all you got award for best overreacting the the Bud Darian breakup scene Sheen dials it up might have been a long night out with the Bear Stearns guy the night before but uh, he's, he's he's on DEFCON 11 in that scene
1: you may find out one day that when you've had money and lost it it's much
2: worse than never having had it at all oh yeah well, that is bullshit <laughs> You step out that door, and I am changing the locks.
3: But I think you got to really, if we're really doing the overacting award, even though she's a legend, you got to give it to Sylvia Miles, the real estate broker. I mean, that's absurd. That's an absurd, that is an absurd performance.
2: Best schools in the city. You know, a cute young boy like you, got to think of a future uh, lady friend in your life when you finished wolfing around.
1: <laughs> of course, I'm taking
2: <laughs> oak strip
1: floors.
0: That's a good choice. All right, we'll have co-winners. But of course, I'm taken, honey. The Dion Waiters Award for Best Heat Check is absolutely loaded. We have Sean Young, who's in two scenes throwing 140 miles an hour and then telling the nanny to take the future black sheep kid away. John C. McGinley, who kind of a nothing part. And he's, he does really stand out and has some good scenes. He, Mr. Cox, he says Mr. Sucker." Josh Mostel, a.k.a. The Terminator. Hal Holbrook, Martin Sheen is, I'm going to say, not eligible. He was in too many scenes. And then my personal choice, Terrence Stamp as Sir, as Sir Larry. Uh, we only see him twice. We see him, he comes to Gecko's house, and then we see him on the yacht. And that yacht scene, um, oh. I'm sure, has been stolen in some way in a Billions episode, Right the the wide shot of the guy in his cell phone with and then it pans back and it's like, oh, he's on a one hundred and thirty foot yacht. It's just effective.
3: no, in the movie that uh, cannot shall not be named that Dave and I worked on, um. We tried really hard to do a really great yacht scene, and we could, for that, and we couldn't get the right yacht. It was just two more days in Puerto Rico that sucked trying to do mm. this. So we haven't, we, we intentionally have not done exactly that on Billions uh, because we tried so hard on the movie that shall not be named. But I th- I would give the heat check award to James Karen, the the guy who plays Sheen's boss, because over Stamp. No, Stamp is bigger than that. I think he's like really famous guy in a certain way. No stamp wins it, but you got to shout out James Karen for the most confused. Something that's always confused me is when he picks up the phone. So Sheen gives the phone to him and then he goes, he listens to a guy talk and he goes, no, no, you're welcome. But you never say that. Someone says, thank you. You say you're welcome. They don't say you're welcome to you. And then you go, no, no, you're welcome. It's a very weird moment. I never have understood it. I've watched it a hundred times trying to figure out what the fuck he was doing, but he makes you remember him,
0: that guy. Stamp, he's sure stamp eight, wins. Eight stamp minutes. Wins. He hits four threes.
3: Stamp wins. Stamp gecko. wins. You're totally right.
0: The gecko, the way he says gecko, incredible. You're completely uh, next right. Next category, recasting couch. I'm just throwing this at you. Michelle Pfeiffer in the uh in the Darien Pot part. I think the movie goes up a notch. Perfect point older, of her career. She was just older. That's all. But She's I think older. she needs to be older. I think that it, that's part of the Darian appeal, right? She's been around the block a couple of times. She's a little two, two older things. than Bud.
3: Your obsession with Michelle Pfeiffer is amazing. Have you have you interviewed her on your podcast yet? I don't know if
0: I'd be able to. No, you got to get her on. You got to do it. She's very I smart. I, I just wouldn't be able to form sentences. You got to do know. it. Uh, you bring her up,
3: you'd bring her up too much and it clearly matters don't to you. don't bring her up too much. Who else in the mid-80s would you? She was. No, no, I'm saying you bring her up too much not to have had
0: her on your podcast. Oh, that's fair. Would you but, have gone uh, Demi Moore for Darian? Because this is also Demi Moore range. like yeah, post I was, I looked, uh, so,
3: so this morning I looked up all these actresses to see who it would have been. I looked up everybody. I think Melanie Griffith. Or, I think Melanie Griffith probably. Uh,
0: Melanie, Melanie Gr- Griffith. Oh, so working girl Melanie Griffith. That's a good one. I think
3: I would have gone with Melanie Griffith at the time. Uh, Doesn't if Darian I, if have if to seem like
0: she has like that kind of Greenwich Academy background though? I'm not sure Melanie Griffith pulls that off.
3: Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, no, maybe not. But like she was, if I think about who she was such good at, you know, she was just so good and so kind of alive. And she had like, if you think about her in, um, in something wild, like the something wild version of her,
0: you know? I think it's the wrong energy. Michelle Pfeiffer to me looks like somebody who went to, I don't know, pick an awesome New York prep school and then went to, you know, Columbia for art and just is in the circles the whole time. I have a
3: great... I have a great Michelle Pfeiffer trivia fact that I don't know if you know that
0: okay. you're going to love
3: because- I love all Michelle Pfeiffer trivia. Do you know the Jack Nicholson, Don Henley thing? What's that one? They're at a party in Hollywood. Don Henley, Jack Nicholson, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer has just, word is out that she's just gotten broken up with. Mm. And, uh, and so Jack Nicholson's in the corner of the party and he's just watching. And Don Henley thinks this is his shot. And he approaches Michelle Pfeiffer on the couch. And he's like, "Hey, Michelle, uh, can I basically can I light your cigarette?" And she just kind of looks up at him and is like, "Hey, Don," and just turns the fuck away and won't talk to him. And Henley slinks away. And Nicholson comes up to him and goes like, "Nice shot, buddy." She just (laughs) torches Don Henley at the party. And Don Henley goes home and writes the last worthless evening about Michelle Pfeiffer. Wow. Yeah. That's great.
0: I well. When we do our spin-off Michelle Pfeiffer podcast, that'll be the second episode.
3: You got it. That's a big deal. Last word this evening, go listen to it. It's about Henley wishing he could talk to Michelle Pfeiffer
0: and that's what he wished he would have said to her. Jesus. I mean- Pretty good. Henley was coming off Stevie Nicks. He's probably, his confidence was red hot at that point. And Sh- Pfeiffer just wanted, she just turns
3: away yeah. from him. You can read the story. Everyone's told the story online. You can find all the versions of it. Hi, Don.
0: half Fast yeah. Internet Research. Um, the Greed- for lack of a better word, is good line was based on a speech Ivan Boski gave to the 1986 graduating class of Berkeley business. He said, greed is right. So Stone grabbed that. Uh, Mentioned Douglas, 40 cigarettes a day. Had to work with a speech instructor on breath control so he could have the oxygen to do the rapid fire dialogue. Modeled after Pat Riley, which you mentioned. Um, Stone had the Fox having an affair with uh, Gecko's wife but had to abandon it because Charlie Sheen and Sean Young like hated each other and That's they couldn't funny. be in the same room. So they just had That's to scrap funny. it. Oh, you know who else could have played Darian? Diane Lane. Oh, not, I'd, I'd like that even more than Michelle Pfeiffer. That's a good one. Diane Lane would have been good. Oh. i had written we're that always, down and forgot We're, to we're always trying it. to get Diane Lane more parts than the rewatches. Sheen spent 45 minutes on the actual trading floor to shoot the scenes, use real brokers playing themselves. Uh, he said, here's a movie nerd thing for you this is what he told premier magazine we did enormous amounts of moving camera in this film we're making a movie about sharks about feeding frenzies we wanted the camera to become the predator Amazing. and then he said he did wall street in 53 days came in 7 days ahead of schedule close to 2 million under budget cuz there's a director strike coming so they had to finish it um and then used he said used consultants some guy named ken lipper put the put sheen and douglas inside solomon brothers got them in the 21 club le cirque New York Stock Exchange, no film had ever been done there and just really got into the culture, which is something you ended up doing 30 plus years later with Billions, where you bring these guys in, you get, ask yeah. them for advice, and now these doors start opening and you get some cool things and, out. And Lippert, Lippert is sitting next to Douglas 21
3: in the movie. He's there Oh, really? Sitting next to him at 21. Yeah. He's on the other side of Douglas in, in, in 21, Ken Lippert. Yeah, it's awesome. Just a little little detail.
0: Uh, Apex Mountain. Oh yeah. Michael Douglas. Cause he's okay. got fatal attraction too. And I, I think this is it. It's either this or fatal attraction. I think you go either, but this is, uh, he's the biggest, biggest male star in the world after this movie. And after this movie Stone, and fatal attraction.
3: You think Stone's Apex is JFK?
0: I think it's this. I have okay. Oliver Stone here because he had Platoon the year before, then Wall Street. And at that point, he could make any movie he wants, which leads to JFK, which is an insane movie to make. He's I think like, that's his hey, best movie, I'm doing movie, the assassination. But I think JFK is his best movie. Is this your audition to be on the JFK rewatchables? No, we're doing, we're doing- That's on the schedule.
3: I'm doing First Blood and then I'm doing, um, you know, a secret one. So I, I, I can't- I Oh, think yeah, you right. How many do you
0: want me on? No. Uh, Charlie Sheen, Apex Mountain? It's tough because I think as an actor, this was his apex mountain, but two and a half men making $10 kazillion and being watched by 20 million people every night. I kind of feel like that has to be his apex mountain. He was the biggest TV star in the world. I'm going to
3: controversially say, I think Platoon was his apex mountain as an artist. I think he does Platoon and it could have, his whole life could have gone a different way. And after Platoon, he gets completely out of control. I mean, if you think about where he was positioned, after platoon, he could have been everything, you know, and uh and instead he ends up doing, you know, he ends up letting his, uh
0: you know, Market corrected him, Cruz,
3: and Downey later probably, right? Downey
0: later, but Cruz early. He's basically in a death match with Cruz for all of those roles and not getting <sighs> any of them. Fascinating. Right? Rain you think Man. that's what
3: happened? Like like Top Gun too? You think?
0: Well, he gets this one over Cruise, so I think they're pretty even coming out of nineteen eighty seven. And then Cruise just starts ripping off Tom Cruise stuff. Right. And you know, like could Charlie Sheen, from what we saw in this movie, what we knew of him at the age he was, been Jerry Maguire in nine years? Like, yeah,
3: right. But he 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 couldn't have been in the Grisham thing because the firm? he didn't, he never yeah he didn't play with the same exact intelligence. Cruise, right. You really believe Cruz making all those tough decisions. Well, plus
0: Cruz, run, the Cruz is running. I mean, nobody ran better. He was like Usain Bolt watching him sprint did just around Did you do the firm Memphis. on this ever? Because we did. I, did, the did, firm. You,
3: did you talk a lot about the backflips? Okay, let's yeah. keep going. All right, good. Uh,
0: Sean Young. So she has this and No Way Out with Kevin Costner stripes same is year. Her, stripes is her high point. I say No Way Out. I say Stripes. I think she's awesome No Way Out. Uh, Daryl Hannah has this in Roxanne the same year. You can make a case, Yes.
3: Sure. Roxanne was a big deal. She was incredible.
0: How about Wall Street?
3: I mean, Wall Street is an, I think it's an evergreen. I mean, I think Wolf of Wall Street into Wolf of Wall Street, into the Adam McKay movie, into our show, into success. So Wall Wall Street's Street's
0: never had an apex mountain.
3: I think Wall Street is a, I mean, if you just think about those movies in a row,
0: how about cocaine, limos, hookers, and blowjobs just as this is at the apex? Maybe. Talking uh, heads. The Eagle, no, the Eagles documentary is the apex for that. <laughs> Fair. Talking heads? Oh.
3: No, the David, stop making sense, right? Okay. You have to give it to stop making sense, I think.
0: This is my favorite one Goofy Movie Robots, because this is yeah. a year after Rocky Four. You're and right. then Wall Street's like, hold my beer, and goes even a step step crazier. And do you know who the actor is who's who's playing with the thing? A legendary that guy.
3: In that, in if you go back and watch, I did not recognize him until I saw it on IMDb. That's like Paul Guilfoyle, who became like the most famous TV actor ever. Yeah, he's the guy with the robot at the house in this
0: goofy movie robots. How about uh, early before it became kind of known, Hamptons? It's kind of stealth Hampton still in the 80s, right? How how about Steak Tartare? Steak Tartare, another good one. I think this is the high point of Steak Tartare. And squash. We're taking one more break, then we're going to pick some nits. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right. You said for Apex Mountain squash. I like that call. That was a good one. Uh, picking Nets. Wouldn't Sir Larry notice Charlie Sheen following him around all day on a motorcycle? He, or wouldn't he have had he, somebody? He does the look. He does it. If you go watch slow, there's this moment when he sees Sheen
3: with Gecko. It's a great acting moment. It's why He he's realizes it mountain. after,
0: but not even- He's like,
3: oh, oh, he puts it together. Oh, that fucker.
0: I feel like at that day he would have seen him. Um, during Gecko's speech, one of the worst dubs ever, where it's like, this is an outrage! You're out of line, Gecko! And it's clearly somebody, you know, in a booth. It's really bad. It kind of hurts. There's the a scene. lot of that. There's a lot of that in this movie. Was Bud really dumb enough to think Gecko wasn't going to destroy Blue Star? I mean, honestly, I, I know Gecko's is smarter than him, but Bud's not going to see that one coming at all. He's really going to trust Gecko, the the biggest shark on Wall Street? Well, that gets you back to the cocaine and parties and
3: sex workers. Mm. And so his head life, was right. That's
0: fair. Um, Bud Fox randomly being at Spader's offense during the pivotal Blue Star liquidation yeah, meeting. It's weird. A, it's a... It's a script stretch. Oh, uh, and becoming such a dick so quickly to his best friend, Marv.
3: Like, yeah. uh, it's a movie trope, but but you're supposed to bring that guy along more slowly than that before you drop the, before you drop your best friend who gave you the hundred that that quickly. Right. And then the
0: who am I moment. Come on, we got to pick the nit on the who am I. moment. You, yeah, you did it, but we'll do it the second time because it's bad. How about Sheen crying as he's being led out of the office in handcuffs? I don't feel like Bud Fox does that. I think he sticks his chin up and, tries to take it a little bit more like a man. I didn't like the crying. I would bet you, I haven't looked it up, but I would bet you Dennis
3: Levine must've cried. And that's the guy that was based on was Dennis Levine. Oh, interesting. Okay. Dennis Levine's the guy that like boasts your milk. One of those guys, I don't remember which right now, but one of those guys worked with this guy, Dennis Levine. And I would bet you that Dennis Levine cried. And that's that's my guess. That's oh, just my, a I guess. That.
0: I could be completely wrong. That's just a guess. At the end, Gecko wouldn't have worried that Bud was wearing a wire. He was yeah, too you're smart. Totally right about that. Yeah, that's of course bad. he would. And then my last one... Also, oh, he didn't say enough in that scene to get arrested. My last one... Yeah, he didn't. We couldn't have had an Emilio Estevez cameo. Emilio's red hot at the time. Couldn't he have been the union rep? He could have been Sheen's other son. What did you think of the Charlie Sheen cameo in
3: the sequel? I kind of liked it. Me too. I don't I, know why. I, I actually it was, thought it was
0: I the best part it. of the sequel. I kind of liked it too. Wait, so Emilio plays, you know, Jimmy Fox. The other son, who's just Blue Star for life, and he's the union rep. And now we got brother versus brother yeah, with dad versus replaced brother. You could any of those airplane workers with Emilio. It's cameo. Been, Come on, it would have been awesome. Come on, Should've Oliver done it. Stone. Uh, next category: Could this be remade as a ten-episode Netflix show? I, I mean, technically, it's already happened with your. I show. wrote. I mean, yeah. I, yeah, I
3: just wrote my note for that thing. It was like, uh, yeah,
0: I yeah. think it could for Showtime. Thank you. Um, probably answerable questions. Did Charlie Sheen eventually just turn into Bud Fox? Yes. Seems like it. How much did Gordon Gecko lead to Trump in the late 80s becoming billionaire cross with stick which then eventually led to the next 30 years of Trump? Has to be at like 10%, right? I mean for this for the sake of your listeners, we don't want be talking about this. But yes, influence, right?
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, it all was part of the culture that led to people celebrating idiots. Yes. Rich
0: people. If you switch cruise and sheen cocktail and wall street, they just switch movies. Sheen's in cocktail cruises in wall street are both movies worse. Better is one better. One worse. How, how would you rate it? Uh, no, this is a great question, Bill. It's a
3: brilliant Thank you. question.
0: Thank you. That's why I make the big bucks.
3: Yep, uh, 50, 100, uh, here's what I'd say. <laughs> here's what I'd say, a player or nothing. Here's what I'd say. No, Cruz makes anything he's in better. He pretty much does. Like maybe he can't replace Sean Penn in some movies, but I think you could put Sean Penn, Cruz in any movie of that period where, where some other dude like him is in there and Cruz just makes the movie better. And Sheen does not nearly have what it takes, the good-natured thing to pull off Cocktail.
0: I think it worked out perfectly because Cocktail is a 2007 Cavs LeBron and nobody else just somehow you making the finals everywhere. Yeah. You need him in that. Um, one more unanswerable question that you can actually answer. Yeah. But wait, though, imagine this.
3: If you get Cruz, you can then cast the whole thing up. And maybe instead of Martin Sheen, you get Duval to play that part. And then maybe you're talking about this movie as one mm-hmm. of the greatest movies of all time. Wow. Duval. Imagine Duval as Cruz's dad in, in, in this, and that'd be amazing.
0: Because you wouldn't have Martin Sheen because the father-son thing, so. Unanswerable question that's actually answerable. Um, Gecko as the spiritual Hollywood father of your dude in Billions, Bobby Axelrod. Well,
3: I would say that he's certainly, I mean, there's no question that growing up, Bobby Axelrod watched Wall Street. No doubt about it. No doubt about it, that Bobby Axelrod watched Wall Street. Okay. And would have told himself that he would never make the stupid mistakes that, right? He would never make the stupid mistakes that Gecko
0: made. Right. He, he's probably watching it going, I can't believe Gecko did that.
3: Yeah. There are so many things that like Gecko did that Bobby Axelrod just would learn the lessons from and just wouldn't make those, I mean, just wouldn't make those same mistakes. Like Tom Dwan watching Rounders or something. Yeah. You know, he just wouldn't
0: make the same mistakes. Next category is the new one. One of my favorites, which piece of memorabilia would you want from this movie? Ironically, your friend, Tom somehow has a sushi machine. What would you want? I mean, the sushi machine would be an incredible thing to want. Uh, because so you could use it. That's, I mean, I like memorabilia that you can actually get use out of is is really uh, the perfect. I would
3: take the walking stick just because to walk around to someone's office and, and and to someone's desk and and just be like, like if Levine and I are having a conversation about some dialogue and I just had the walking stick and I could, would never hit anybody with it because Dave would kill me, but I would never hit anyone. But if I could just like, you know, put it down, like, hey, plant, stop the chin wagon or it's like some tool. Hey, stop the chin wagon, everybody. I was
0: pretty good. Yeah, that's a solid choice. I have the, uh, my runner-up choice is the blue painting in Bud's apartment with all the skeleton heads that uh, Darian put up. It's a really good painting. It, it would be
3: a conversation well, well, starter. In he got your living Julian home. Schnabel. He got a bunch of Julian Schnabel paintings. That painting's worth like seventy million dollars. So
4: oh, you could call. that
3: was good. good That's taste. good
0: call on your part. All right. So then, my second choice would be, uh, or my my number one choice, the giant cell phone, the initial one from The Hamptons, and the in the sunrise. I, I, to have that in your office would be really impressive. I, I guess I would really take the Hampton's house. Was a nice house.
3: I mean if you could have the Hampton's house, it's worth like 60 million dollars now. And probably a lot
0: less beach than in 1986.
3: But it would be good to I think you want
0: the I think you want the Hampton's house. So face. fun. All right, last question, who won the movie? Michael Douglas. I think you're right. I can I make the case for Oliver Stone? Make it. Yeah. Platoon Wall Street back to back years as good as Anybody did in the 80s with back to back movies as creators. Um, a movie that has gained steam really toward the end of that decade and then just kept going, going as a true piece of pop culture, especially the Gordon K- Gecko thing. It's hard to think of the 80s and not think of this movie. It set out everything that he wanted to do and accomplish. And he never really reached the same heights again as a filmmaker. He tried but I, this was, I, this I was the peak for him. I, I'm with you. I think it's Douglas because this movie allows him with Fatal Attraction to then become the biggest star in the world. Yeah, and, and then to have forever the, the thing that he
3: was one of the most important characters in cinema history and a character who stood in for a period of America. There's just one quote that I want to say, which we didn't cover, which was, never knew how poor I was till I started making a little money. Mm. And this one other, which is, that's the thing you got to remember about wasps. They love animals. They hate people.
0: <laughs> I, I forgot about that one. That's, that's a, a good pretty one. good,
3: that's a pretty good line. Uh, but this is a movie that everybody should go watch. It's just so fucking entertaining.
0: Gecko, Hannibal Lecter. There's, there's very few characters that are just going to live on and on and on. I, by the way, it's on Amazon right now you want, if you have Amazon Prime, you want to watch it for free. I promise you will, you will really, really enjoy watching this movie for the people out there listening. It's and, just and really I, good still. I, uh, I changed my mind. If you do JFK and it's like a gang,
3: because if JFK with all the conspiracy shit and everything, if like, I'm sure that's one you're going to get Ryan and Sean, like I would love to counterpunch in there on JFK, just my little things about the movie.
0: Cause I watch it. I watched a hundred times. So I'll, 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 I'll throw my hat in the ring. Yeah. When we do JFK, It's going to be like the first five-hour rewatchable because it has to double as a JFK. JFK is like like an all-day thing. I
3: I re-say yes. I take back my no and I now say yes because just to be a small part of it would be great. All right, dude.
0: All right, so you can listen to compliment on the Book of Basketball podcast we did about Julius Irving and eventually Billions will be back and it was always good to see you, my friend. You're the best. I'll talk to you soon, pal.